the question of specialization, well, in an ideal world, you wouldn't just specialize. But the truth is that soccer, if you're a field player in soccer, it's such a difficult sport. If you really do want to be great, you do have to specialize early. It's just a fact. That was Steve Gans, author of the new book, Win the College Soccer Recruiting Game, The Guide for Parents and Players. And he's today's guest on New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Boston area author Steve Gans, whose new book is titled Win the College Soccer Recruiting Game, The Guide for Parents and Players. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Matt. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And obviously the, the title of your book is is kind of right in our wheelhouse. We, we have a lot of a lot of parents and a lot of hopeful college players that that visit our website and read our publication. And I think this is this is great for them to know about your book and First and foremost, just tell us about kind of the the thought process behind the book and why you wanted to dive into this topic. That's a great question because that's that's really the seminal underpinning of it. So so I guess what I would say is this is a pay it forward exercise. I want to help parents and players of the next generation, current generation, next generation, a little past me because my kids, I've, I've one still in college and one graduated now. And um, the motivation is that I have a deep, deep, background in soccer, very comprehensive at all levels. And and so I think I know the sport really well. And yet, including college, where I do a lot of stuff, and, and yet not one, but both of my sons, neither of them wound up at the school where they originally committed. They were both recruits. And so I think the it was a kind of a stunning result. And, and I think the pay it forward thing is if it can happen to our family and me and, and my sons, then it can happen to anyone. So what I want to do through telling personal stories, giving tips for being recruited, and, and pointing out traps for the unwary to avoid. I hope I can help a lot of people avoid a rough recruiting experience. Right. And, and if you talk to any player who's been recruited or trying to make those decisions, it's it can be frustrating. It can be overwhelming at times, especially now. I feel like it's gotten significantly more stressful <laughs> over the last like decade or a couple decades, but just with, with social media and, and players putting out highlight tapes and trying to be seen and showcases and things like that. What's kind of the overarching theme that, that you find about, about the whole recruiting process? And what's like a, a lesson that, that parents kind of need to know going into it? Well, I think one thing you need to know going into it is because soccer is a, a non-revenue sport com- compared to like football and basketball, that 95% of players need to do proactive things in order to get recruited, maybe more than 95%. My older son was, was a DA player, highly recruited by a lot of schools, over 30 schools, and yet there were steps that had to be taken. This is not, as I put in the book, this, this is not John Calipari at University of Kentucky saying, I see a kid in Brookline, Mass, and I'm going to get on a private plane and go see him. College soccer programs have limited recruiting bu- budgets. They go to certain so- showcases. They can go to certain games, and, and they hold their ID camps. And there are proactive steps people have to take. There are, I think an ancillary point is, is that one has to understand a little bit of the grittiness that goes on behind the scenes and what the psychology of, of recruiting coaches is and, and what goes, in, goes on in a college soccer program 
so that they can avoid the traps for the unwary. Right, right. What's what's the scholarship process like too for players? We, you talked about basketball and football. Basketball, they carry maybe twelve kids on the team. It's a it's a huge money making sport. There's there's full rides to be handed out to these blue chip prospects who are destined for the NBA. What's the soccer process like? Is it is financially what, what do you think it's like for players? Well, if we're talking about scholarship, the way I look at this, I don't talk so much about scholarships. Right. I think that I think, but I'll, I'm certainly happy to talk about it. I, sure. I think the point of the matter is kids. Kids in club, in in many cases, the parents, the people wouldn't be listening if they weren't interested. They're hoping that 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 being a, a good club soccer player will help their kid get into the school of their dreams. Right? It'll right. be a bump to get in the school of their dreams. A scholarship is obviously a, a cherry on top. There are nine point nine scholarships in Division One in most cases in soccer. In most cases, those are split. In other words, very few people get full rides. And so while that's a realistic possibility, it's not like a football team where you where they have 50, 60, 70 full scholarships. So the way I've sort of approached this is, is it going to help you you get into the school of your dreams? In the Ivy League in Division One, there are no scholarships. And in Division Three, there are no scholarships. Right. And, and you try to provide kind of the roadmap for this whole process, right? Kind of just the, the, the what to know in the, in the, the preparation stuff for what players and parents should, should understand about going through this whole thing. What's like the, the main advice you give to like a parent you going through? Cause the players, they're on the field. They're just trying to perform. What's like the main advice you could give to a parent? Sure. I think the way the book is structured, it starts out necessarily by telling the personal stories of my son's recruiting experience, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it, by telling that a pretty full story, not, not every gory detail, <laughs> but, but pretty full story, it, it shows sort of the evolution as players, how the recruiting process worked, how it seemed to work, what we did right, what we did wrong, and then what went wrong at the end and how it was remedied when neither of them wound up at the school, the main school that recruited them and where, the, where they wound up. That's the first part. The second part is tips, how you get, recruited how right. you contact coaches how you the, the necessity of a video and a resume how you construct the, the question of whether id camps matter and really getting down and into all the weeds about id camps because id camps are a dichotomy right they're money makers for coaches and so the question is and for businesses and the question is are they necessary the answer is they are necessary but then how do you ensure that they're ID camps are real and you pick the right ones that could actually help your kid. It gets into showcase. It gets into reading the tea leaves, what I call the draft board of understanding what communications come and may not come from coaches. And then and then there are sections and interspace throughout about things to avoid traps of the unwary. And one of the things I do at the end, which is which is kind of painful, but I but I felt that um it wouldn't be a true honest book if i if i were going to tell the story of my sons with their consent by the way there's a big disclaimer in there from them saying a lot of these thoughts are my opinion not necessarily theirs about their about their own ex- recruiting experiences they, they don't disagree with any of the tips or anything i admit what i did wrong right. uh, the mistakes i made along the way and those i i do not to bear my soul but rather to help parents avoid things like that right because there are a lot there's so much intensity with parents hoping for the best for their kids that sometimes they really misstep thinking they're doing the right thing, but they're doing the wrong thing. Right. Kids can get burned out if they start ID camps too early, for instance, that's one example. So I, I, and that's a mistake I made with my older son. So I have a whole chapter on that. So yeah, it's, it's personal stories, it's tips, 
for how you get recruited. It's understanding the signals and, and coach psychology and what actually goes on in the draft board when they're deciding who they want and who they, they don't want. And then it's things to avoid. Yeah, I think personal experience is just so valuable. The kind of letting people have that insight into your own experience and your own life just really, really hammers points home. And the point you made about burnout, I think, is the thing that always comes to my mind about modern sports and, and specialization that's taking place within sports. Kids, maybe it's the kids sometimes, it's the parent kind of putting their all their eggs in one basket at like nine or 10 years old and saying like, this is what you're going to play. Kind of the Tiger Woods impact of, of society and sports, like where you're going to play this one sport. And it, I, I, I've always thought, and this is me personally, I've always thought like it can be socially that can be damaging to a kid because you're just with one set of people you're you're in that sport you're doing that same regimen every day and it's tough and I think that's the 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 most interesting thing for parents I have I have two sons of my own and they're young but like deciding how much of something they're going to play at a young age absolutely and I actually think as in a lot of things the the challenges that come in youth soccer are greater and different than in the other sports. So for instance, the question of specialization, well, in an ideal world, you wouldn't just specialize, but the truth is that soccer is such a difficult, if you're a field player in soccer, it's such a difficult sport. If you really do want to be great, you do have to specialize early. It's just a fact. Mm. You can be, uh, Bob Hayes was an all pro Dallas Cowboys receiver who never played any football until he was like 23 or 24, but he was an Olympic track athlete. There are certain sports where you can start late. Soccer is not one of them, mm. right? So, so there's an empirical reality there. There's also the reality that, that clubs, when you, a lot of parents don't grow up familiar with the sport, their kid becomes as a recreational player at a very young age, emerges as a good player. Parents obviously see this talent. The clubs come calling, promise at U9 or U8 or U10 or whatever it is, that this is the gateway to the college of their dreams. And that's just a process that repeats itself. I it's a very good point you made, Matt, about the social part, where I, I do a whole chapter on the social part of um, on the boy side, because the girl side doesn't demand this, but MLS Next, what used to be called the DA, and the demand that you can't play high school. That, to me, is a huge, huge choice, because playing for one's high school and being with one's friends from the formative years is a quintessential American experience, and it's alienating. And it was alienating for my older son, who was in the DA, so much that it kind of sucked the joy out of the sport for him for a while until after he committed. We took him out of the DA his senior year, and he went back and, and was able to play high school. So you, you hit on all the right points. There are social costs to specialization. There are social costs to being an elite player, especially in American society. But there is a practical reality that soccer uniquely is a sport where if you really want to be great, you do have to start, I think, at a younger age than, than maybe you do in other, other sports. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. You see in the NFL, Bill Belichick or any coach out there can, can pluck players who were basketball players in college, who were lacrosse players in college, and that athletic skill set can translate to a football field, but you're so right about, it's funny, <laughs> growing up, I used to, you'd have your friends who were super athletes, but then they'd come try to play soccer in like a pickup game of soccer. And they were just, it was, it was a disaster tripping over their own feet. Cause it's just, it's just such a fine skill set that you need as a, a central midfielder or a center back in, in soccer that you just, that other athletes just don't have. And those skills are harnessed at a young age. They are harnessed at a young age. And just as, as much, it's not even the technical skills. It is the technical skills, but it's also the brain, right? The, the, the quick example I'd given in that regard, of course, I grew up here. I'm from Boston. I'm an American 
kids. So I, I love all sports and, and, and I compare soccer sometimes as a flow sport to basketball and hockey in, in basketball and hockey. You worry about four other, because hockey has a goal goaltender, four other field players in a compressed area. So the decisions you make in your brain, while they got to be fast, they're less complex than in soccer In soccer it's 120 yard field by maybe up to 85 yards wide. You have nine field player teammates you have to worry about. The ball may come to you on to your chest, to your thigh, to your, you're running into space yourself. You have to decide ahead of time, what are you going to do with that ball? So it's such a complex number of choices that you would have in deciding that that's the part just as much as the technical skills that you have to start early so you can keep up. I call it the, in the book, the millisecond and the, and the millimeter. If you trap the, the ball as well as someone in Europe, that's a millimeter question. The millisecond is, do you think and see the field as well as someone in Europe or South America? That's, that's the millisecond question. And so you have to start fairly young to really understand this really, they call it the simplest game. It's the simplest game because it's easy to play. You, you can be barefoot with, with a, a ball. But it's the hardest game strategy-wise. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's far from simple <laughs> at the highest level. It's 11 players on the field. And, and as you as these youth players, I, my, my son's 11, and they haven't quite started playing through their goalie and, and having their keeper kind of build it out from there. But like, it, it just gets more complex as you get older and the strategies and the formations and, and everything. It's, it's far from simple. How old are your two sons now? So my oldest son is 24. My younger son is 21. They, they booked my older son. He, because of COVID, they both missed a season. So they extended a semester. They sat out a semester. So my older son graduated last December and my younger son is 21 and he's going into his senior season. He'll be graduating next December. COVID has, as everyone knows out there for, for existing college players, has extended the experience, if you will. Right. Uh, it's both protracted, extended, and delayed. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, and now they, they grew up playing for a, a, a really successful youth travel team. Then they played for the Bolts, correct? Right. I coached them. I, I live in Newton and, and coached them with, with the successful travel team from 8 to 13. Two different teams are two and a half years. And then they both went on to Boston Bolts, right? right? And at U11 for one of them and U10 for the younger one, which is, which is, again, a referendum on how much club has become so much more part of the scene. Oh, man. Uh, I know yeah. it's it's crazy. Right. I, I say all the time, like when I, when I was growing up, when I graduated high school in two thousand, so the, the club scene was was nothing like. It. Growing up, I was playing basketball and, and soccer, and, and hardly anyone was playing AAU basketball back then, and and hardly anyone was playing club soccer. It was almost, it was kind of like whatever the season was. Okay, falls over, mm-hmm. time for basketball. Okay, winter's mm-hmm. over, time for baseball. It just it's and that whole principle and that whole idea is just seems to be evaporating. Yeah, no, the club is pretty dominant for people who want to play next level. What was the, for your sons, going from, from playing travel to them playing club, how much of a, of a transition was that? Was it, and as a parent, was, how difficult is that for a parent to go from the, the commitment of travel to the commitment of playing for a high level? It was a big transition. It was, a, it was a, I, I do think it was a natural step because at the time, this, my older son's club was, we did it all the right way. We played everyone, but it set sort of Bay's records for undefeated streaks and all that kind of stuff. We had a lot of talented kids. And at a certain point, all, all clubs, the clubs came proactively to our games, um, and only one one kid jumped early. I think at in those days, at at U ten he did, and then 
most of the rest of the team jumped at U11. It was, it was a, and then they, they did both for a while. It was a natural progression, the next step, especially since these kids, most of them were extremely talented on that first team, my older son's team. I think seven or eight became college athletes, six became college soccer players, if I have the numbers right. And my younger son's team, a similar number became college soccer players. And I don't think any, any of them others played played other sports. But it was a natural progression. Obviously, it's a greater commitment because of flyaway tournaments and more practices during the week, though I held two practices, but I think club, club was three. And it, it was fairly seamless. I think it was exciting for them at the time because they 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 knew they were going to a even a, even a more elite level if you will. New England's soccer journals The Goal will return after this. Hey, here's a great new idea in fundraising. Soccerheads New England Comedy Fundraisers. This is better than a stand-up show. It's an event that your community will never forget. You'll get soccer-themed comedy with Paul Nardizi, who has been on Conan O'Brien and Nesson Comedy All-Stars along with Dave Radigan from Serious Radio Comedy and Jim Roberti. There will also be giveaways and all sorts of extras. Want to make money for your soccer club and have fun while doing it? Email the guys at SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. That's SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and AnySoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to AnySoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to anysoccerjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful. We're talking to Steve Gans, whose new book is called Win the College Soccer Recruiting Game, The Guide for Parents and Players. And Steve, I want to kind of talk about your kind of upbringing with soccer and how, when you kind of fell in love with the game and kind of what it was like for you at an early age and, and going forward and later in your life. Oh, I pr- appreciate that question. So, <laughs> I'll, and I'll, I'll answer it as, as in short a time as possible. So my father is from Germany, was from Germany, he's passed away now. He escaped the Holocaust. So he came over here. And uh, obviously, if you were from Europe, this was his favorite sport. And so I he 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 used to take the train 
from Boston and New York before he had kids to watch semi-pro games. I mean, he, he, he was searching for good soccer. And when I was a kid, he used to drag, really young kid, drag me to, there was a, a team called the Boston Tigers that played in Chelsea. And he used to bring me to those kind of pro, semi-pro games. And so I would see closed circuit games in hotel in hotels and 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 that sort of thing. That's where they used to be beamed in before the world was completely flat and we had all these broadcasts. So I was always exposed to it, but because I didn't see real top-notch soccer in person, I, I grew up playing all the other sports. And in particular, my, my passion was baseball. So I played at a pretty serious level baseball. But then when I was 13, the first real pro team came to Boston and the coach of that team actually moved to my town and kind of started to mentor me as a player. And at that point, I made the switch sort of cold turkey to soccer. And once I saw really great soccer in person, it, it just exceeded everything else. And I gave everything else up to the point before at age 13, that's kind of late. In those days, I could sort of get away with it, but it's kind of, it is kind of late to, to really start picking it up then. My father's influence, which was gentle, obviously just exposed me to it. And then when a pro team came here and, and Hubert Vogelsinger, who was the coach of that team, some people out there listening may know, most maybe might not, but he's sort of a legend, <laughs> legend in the game here. Under his guidance, I went full-fledged in, into soccer. How would you describe yourself as a player? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I can tell you I'm not as good as my older my older son. Yeah, but um, do, you, do you say that to them? you got to brag about it. You just make it seem like you're a better player. No, <laughs> uh, I think I worked really hard. I, I think for those days and for an American player, and I say this with, without an inferiority complex about American players, but it's just a, an empirical fact that we were very behind our European, South American counterparts. I, I was a very, very highly skilled player, technically really excellent ball skills, not fleet of foot. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't didn't have jets and honestly to the point to my point before and this is what I marvel about my kids because they started when they were three and this is why I'm sensitive to it I was always a better again hockey or basketball baseball is a different strategic game but in terms of flow sports than I ever was a soccer player because I started so late that I never mastered the brain part of seeing these plays ahead that's what I marvel about about my older son in particular and my younger son as well about how well they see the chessboard out there because they started younger. So as a consequence, I was lucky enough to be recruited, thanks again to Vogelsinger as a college player. And But I was always better as an indoor soccer player than I was an outdoor soccer player because indoor soccer, and that's what I ended up pursuing after college, because indoor soccer, again, is more like hockey or basketball, in particular hockey, obviously, because it's was played in hockey arenas in those days. And I felt much more comfortable and I could master that, you know, the brain part of it. And I have the technical skills. But on balance, I would say uh, average for today's player. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, what I'd say. That's the thing I marvel at is like, I, I say this to, I was, I, I was out for a beer with a buddy of mine who we, we played high school soccer together a couple of weeks ago. And I was telling, because I watch so much soccer now, my, <laughs> my current job. I said to him, I go, you wouldn't believe how much better these players are now than, than what we were when we, when we thought we thought we were skilled in high school. And it's not even like it's not even comparable. Just the, the, the finesse and skill level that these kids come to the field with every day. It's, it's crazy. Yep, it is. It is. In, in your everyday life, the occupation, you're a, you're a partner at a Boston law firm. And that in that regard, you also have worked alongside the sport of soccer, right? Yes, I I have. I've been lucky enough. So so just a quick story is I started college at Cornell 
I played there. I was actually with a pro team here called the New England Team Men that played at what's called Schaefer Stadium, then turned into Foxborough Stadium before Gillette. So I go way back. And I, I they had given me at age 17 a job to be the game official scorer. So for awarding Franz Beckenbauer assists on goals and stuff like that was pretty heady stuff for, for a 17-year-old. So I used to have to take a bus home from Ithaca, New York on Friday nights. Um to be here for the team and games. And then I go back on Sunday every, every weekend in the spring of my freshman year, my first year. And the team, the general manager said, we want you here, transfer here, or we're going to cut ties with you. So I transferred here, ended up at Brandeis and I got injured when I got to Brandeis repeatedly. So, and then the team ended up moving to Jacksonville and I didn't follow them there. I wasn't going to transfer to the university of Jacksonville. So I stayed here. And so I was frustrated that the team didn't make it in Boston and also that I'd gotten injured. So I, I, de I delayed law school at the time and I, I pursued pro soccer and wound up with the, the, the real, not the team called that now, but the real Baltimore blast of the major indoor soccer league. And so the reason I, I tell you that in my background is it was an amazing two years, two years in the front office, successful team, sold for a profit, won a championship, made it back for, I, I don't ever want to overstate it, but overcame injuries and, and for a cup of coffee in the, in the pros as a player. So that was great. And when I left, I never thought I'd do anything again in soccer, but fate has dictated otherwise. And soon after I joined a large law firm in Boston, after getting out of law school, the World Cup 94 project was, was thrust upon me. And since then, the early 1990s, it's been a continuous immersion in soccer, whether or not it's representing players or management as a lawyer or as a non-lawyer consulting, had a consulting business in the premier for the Premier League clubs and management and also helping out players. So it's 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 pretty comprehensive. It's not all of what um, I do. I don't only do sports law, but yeah, it's it's a lot of lot of interest and stuff. Was sports law kind of the the thing that when you envision yourself as a, as a lawyer into your career, was that something that you you thought was a great fit for you, sports law? No, 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 actually not. So again, I, I had my intense two years in pro soccer in Baltimore and left and actually didn't want any, it was so intense. That I, didn't, I, I had had my fill, reached my dream, didn't want to do anything like that again. And I just, when I got out of law school, I joined a large firm in Boston. And in my first year, I didn't do anything in sports. And it just happened to be that the World Cup bid for Boston wasn't going well. It was, it was rated lowest of... 29 cities bidding for nine sites for the 94 World Cup. And the managing partner in the firm came to me and said, we know about your background, obviously, and our clients that own Foxborough Stadium are about to pull the plug on the Boston bid. Could you save it? And I said, I'd try. And that turned out to be three years of at least 50% of my work time trying to turn that around. And that was successful. As everyone, we know, Boston was one out of nine one of nine playing sites for the 94 World Cup. And just since then, it's just continued in, in various forms, in legal and non-legal forms, because my background touches a lot of different areas. I was a pro soccer executive, I was a player, and then I'm asked to advise people. Like, for instance, I advised a Premier League former CEO on television rights. That had nothing to do with legal stuff. That had more to do about understanding um, American soccer market and American TV tendencies. Well, now you can add author to your list of accomplishments. I, I, I want to ask you, though, about the, the book writing process, the experience of, of doing that. Was it, did you find it difficult? Was it, did it consume your life for, for a period of time? What, what, what was kind of your whole process on that? So 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I say this is a pay it forward exercise, and it is, but I, I would be less than candid to also say that it was also a catharsis experience, right? Because my older son, Noah, his original commitment was to Harvard. And when that didn't work out in the wake of the Harvard soccer scandal that occurred in the late fall of 2016, which I might I have to say had nothing to do with the incoming the high school seniors who were coming in. It had to do with the existing program, but it affected early decision decisions because the admissions office suddenly viewed the soccer program as kind of a pariah for, for that period. So there were a lot of incoming players that got damaged. One got rejected. My son got deferred. So that was a, a very obviously disappointing moment, upsetting. And uh, so part of this, I, once I went through this experience and then with my younger son as well, less dramatic story. And part of it was definitely a pay it forward thing. I want to help people but also it was catharsis. So people say to me, you're such a busy lawyer. How, how do you find time not write a book? Well, I essentially wrote this over four years, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I started reading it in the, in the aftermath. Of, I started writing it in the aftermath of these experiences. And so it, it, I, I wrote maybe 40 pages a year and completed it this past fall to make sure everything was updated properly. And it, it is currently good information. So the point is, it's not that hard to write 40 pages a year. So it didn't consume me, but I wanted to get this done and I want to, I, I want to help people. This is something I do normally anyway, for like 20 friends or acquaintances or people ask me to do it. I'm always asked to consult on club questions when, when parents and kids are at a crossroads with their club and or with their recruiting. So I do this for people anyway, and this is a, a, a way to reach others. So it's something I, I wanted to do, started writing as catharsis, but it turned in it into a, a, a pay it forward passion play, I guess is what I'd say. At what point did the, the light go off in your head and say, all this stuff, all this recruiting stuff and this whole journey would make a good book topic? How, how old were your sons? How, how deep into their soccer journey were you thinking that? Uh, I, I can't tell you the exact moment, yeah. but, but obviously, so the fundamental notion here is, and not to overstate my experience, but, but, I think it is fair to say that there's no American involved in soccer that has more, not the biggest name, obviously, but there's no American involved in soccer that has more comprehensive experience than me at all levels, from all perspectives, from youth to college, to pro to World Cup, and then players and management and owners and all that stuff. And so when this went wrong, this recruiting went wrong and the aftermath of that, 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 that essentially was the moment, the idea that if you, it can happen to us. It can happen to anyone. So that really essentially the moment. I can't say that the exact day, but I can say the exact kind of time. Well, it's, it's definitely a fascinating topic for a book, and it's one that our listeners and our readers, I'm sure, will be, will be very interested in. I, I know just in talking to players who have made their commitments and, and so, so many times like the theme after they make that decision is like, okay, I'm relieved now. I can, I can move on, especially if they have like another year remaining in their, in their high school career, their prep career, that just that, that sense of, okay, I can put that behind me and move on. And it is a, it's a super stressful and, and at times mercurial and, and frustrating process. So I, I know it'll be a, a well-read publication and I, I want to thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And thanks for having me. And again, I, I hope this helps a lot of families to have a smooth recruiting experience and to avoid some of the pitfalls that occur out there. Thanks again to Steve Gans for joining us. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. 
New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.